Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wake Up and Grow. I am your host, Natalie Bittinger, and today's episode is titled Living Water. I also wanted to keep you updated on the store for merch that I have coming out soon. I'm still collecting it, the merch, and I am getting together the store, and so just keep your eye on the website and the Instagram page for Wake Up and Grow. I'll keep you updated through those areas. But back to what we're talking about today. The scripture, or I guess the passage of scripture that I have chosen to talk about is John chapter 4 verses 1 through 42. And this is the story of the woman at the well. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to read the whole thing right now because that's a lot. But I hope that after this or maybe you did before, if you were following me on my personal Instagram that you go ahead and either go back and read this after we're done or you have before or just have your Bible out and follow along cuz I'll be referencing verses here and there. I personally have come to love this passage of scripture more and more every time I reread it. This interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, it tells us a lot about the relationship we ought to have with Jesus and the relationship he desires to have with us. We all know, or if you've at least read this chapter before, you know that Samaritans and Jews they didn't intermingle and they didn't get along. In fact, the Jews referred to Samaritans as dogs or half-breeds. And I believe that's somewhere in Deuteronomy, if I remember right. And I was trying to figure out, you know, where where exactly did this animosity begin? And I figured out that it started after the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms under the reign of Rehoboam in 1st Kings chapter 12 16 through 20 and I'll go ahead and read that so if you want to flip there with me 1st Kings chapter 12 verses 16 through 20 and I'm reading from the ESV translation if it sounds different than yours But here we go. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried and mounted his chariot to flee Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. 
So we see that after this split, Jeroboam was crowned king over the Israelites, and that capital that he reigned over was the city of Samaria, which is where the term for the people who live there, Samaritans, came from. So very soon after this division of the kingdom of Israel, King Jeroboam built his own two places of worship, one in Bethel and one in Dan. And this is where the people would worship the golden calves that he made. And if we stay in the same chapter, um, but down to verse 25 through 29, we see that Jeroboam did this because he was afraid that the Israelites that he reigned over would remember um, their time as one nation and how they were united in God and under David's line. And he wanted to avoid that and avoid a rebellion. And so we see in verse 25 through 29 that then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to the Lord, to Reboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Reboam king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. So, this disagreement um, between the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of the other Israelites is a disagreement on where the right place to worship is, and this is the main point of the tension we see between Samaritans and Jews. And this friction has been in place ever since the reign of King Roboam and Jeroboam, and it's still running hot when the Samaritan woman and Jesus meet at the well in Samaria. And as I'm going through this chapter, or I guess this section, I notice that she brings this friction up twice. The first time is in verse 7 through 9 when Jesus first addresses her. And just to remind you, we are back in John chapter 4, which is where this encounter is found. But in verse 7 through 9, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So this is the first time that she brings up this friction between them. And another time is after Jesus reveals that he knows about her past and then asks her to go fetch her husband, which we then figure out is not really her husband, just a man she's living with. And that's in verses 19 and 20. 
the woman said to him, Sir, I have perceived that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And I noticed because of her talking about it, because of her bringing it up twice, that this Samaritan woman, though at this point she doesn't 100% understand who Jesus is, she uses this age-old friction between her people and the Jews as an excuse to turn down the living water Jesus is offering her, as an excuse to turn down Jesus. And if I'm being honest, I want I understand, and I don't blame her, because A, she doesn't fully understand who Jesus is at that point, and B, all she has ever known about Jews is that they hate her people for a sin that was committed generations ago, and that the only way to please and approach the God that they both want to serve was through the ways of the Jews and the Jews' way only. And so I can kind of understand where she's coming from and why she is potentially rejecting or at least hesitant, being hesitant towards accepting Jesus and his living water he has approached her with. But again, this, this, this little section of scripture constantly amazes me, but one of the things, to me at least, about this passage that's really great is that Jesus isn't there to condemn her. He is there to forgive her and to let her in on the new kingdom that he is destined to bring. This kingdom that he, at this point in scripture, is slowly revealing to people. And he tells her that Jerusalem will no longer be the only place where worshiping of God can occur. Same with the area in her town in Samaria. And he explains this in verses 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Moving on to the living water itself that Jesus introduces here. This living water is his salvation, the Holy Spirit, and the presence of God in the individual's life, and in her life, in your life, in mine. And as I was preparing this episode, I kept coming back to this question that was kind of rolling around in my head. And I think answering it might help us better understand what this living water is and how it pertains to us. And so the question was, how are God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, how are they like water? You know, their characteristics, abilities, nature, etc. 
And I think that question came to mind because my brain works in a literature fashion. And I always try to compare things. And that's sometimes makes it easier for me to understand parts of the scripture and other things that I may not understand the exact wording they're used. So I'm like, okay, what is this like? But now that I've brought that up, <laughs> I, pardon me, as I put on my science geek hat and talk to you about the properties of water. So water is made up of three different molecules from our elemental table and that is one hydrogen atom and two oxygen atoms to make the equation H2O, more commonly called hydrogen dioxide. And as a random interesting comparison, the Trinity is made up of three persons, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another fact, the human body can only last for so long without the intake of water before our internal organs start to shut down. This is dehydration, and this occurs when there's more, there's less intake of water than there is outtake within the body. And when dehydration occurs, this upsets the balance of minerals, salt and sugar, within our body, and that's what causes havoc. Without water in our system, our food cannot be digested well, um, our waste and the toxins within our bloodstream can't be flushed out by our kidneys, our joints and eyes will be less lubricated, um, our skin will be dry, itchy or cracked, and it's just a mess. I've been dehydrated before. It was not fun. I actually ended up passing out. But yeah. Dehydration, not fun. We need water. Water also aids in the temperature regulation and prevention of infections within our body. It also carries nutrients throughout the body via the bloodstream and just from and other liquid movement throughout our body. And it also regulates our blood pressure when we are deep dehydrated and dried out. Our capillaries and veins actually, they don't shrink, but they tighten up. And so that applies pressure to the pumping of our blood. Whereas when we are hydrated, those capillaries and veins relax and blood can flow more freely. Bottom line, <laughs> we cannot survive without water. But, so there are some other properties, kind of overarching properties of water within our ecosystem, and there's different ways we use water. Uh, we've got water as a cleansing agent, and so that washes away grime, dirt, anything that has attached itself to something. and it can be washed away. Water is also nourishing. It provides nourishment and hydration to our bodies. 
it is a never-ending resource. Um, it's not going to disappear anytime soon. Yes, there are droughts and instances in which a pool or lake or something, a body of water, dry up, but water is a constant within the entirety of the ecosystem. It's never just non-existent. Water is also renewing or restoring. I kind of use those interchangeably. But it can restore dehydrated cells, as I mentioned, and it can bring back the beauty of a dirty item once that dirt is removed. Water is also life-giving. It regulates almost every body function we have, giving us life. Water is energizing. Water can temporarily replenish one's energy. I, I know some of you might think, well, coffee gives me more energy. Yes, because it has caffeine. I'm talking about sustainable energy because of how it helps everything function. Water is satisfying. As well as satisfying thirst, water can temporarily satisfy hunger by fi simply filling the stomach. Though there's no calories in it, it can simply fill that void. I don't suggest you try losing weight by just drinking water. That's incredibly unhealthy. Water also has a calming effect on us. Psychologists have found that the sound of running water can actually guide the neuronal waves in our brains, and this allows for a calming effect. And it also kind of forms some type of white noise, which has also been found to provide other psychological benefits. I actually listen to rushing water or thunderstorms sometimes if I'm taking a nap. And that helps me calm down tremendously. Water is also pretty powerful. Um, we see this in the sea and the ocean and like rapids. When it gets enough energy built up and momentum, water can actually become destructive and cause structures to collapse. Water is, again, sustaining. Water sustains ecosystems and the plants and animal lives within them. And it can also be a sustainable source of energy for power plants. You know, we've got the water wheels and other types of ways and inventions that can take the energy of water and turn it into energy for something else. The water is also filling. When water is in its liquid form, it will arrange its molecules to occupy the entirety of the space it is put into. If there's enough molecules, it will take up all of the space. It can fit into little crevices, it can fit into big spots of air or empty space. And these are just some of the random and basic properties of water within our ecosystem and within our bodies. I won't go into every single detail because I will literally be here forever and you will be bored and not want to listen to my voice anymore. <laughs> um, so back to my original question. How is God like water? And you know, why, why does he use this analogy of living water? 
That's that's really what I'm getting at with this question. So God is cleansing like water. He cleanses us from our sins and our past. God nourishes us like water. He nourishes our souls with himself and his love. God is never ending like water. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never ending love, grace, and mercy for us. God renews and restores. He makes us a new creation in him and restores us to our original purpose that he created us for. God is life-giving. He created life, and then he gives us new life in Christ. God is energizing. He renews the strength of our souls and energizes our spirit for him. I don't know if you've ever, you know, had a, a really bad day, and you get in the car, and you turn on the radio, and it happens to be Caleb or Air One, a Christian radio station, and you hear a song, and it your mood instantly changes. Your energy is higher. You know, you've got endorphins going through now, and your mood is uplifted. That's, God can do that. God is also satisfying. He satisfies any need or desire that we have with himself and other provisions that he can give. God has a calming effect. He can chase away all of our fears and anxieties. He's also powerful. He's all-powerful, in fact, and limitless in his abilities and the things that he can do. God is also sustaining. He is what makes anything we do possible. And through him, we are sustained in life, in spirit, and in eternity as well. God is also filling. And I think this is really the part that Jesus was kind of getting at, or, or focusing on at least maybe, when he said living water and how it can fill the person as a spring and never run dry. His Holy Spirit can fill and inhabit us so that we are a reflection of who God is. And that Holy Spirit will fill us to the brim and so that we so that we are satisfied, so that we are sustained, all of these other properties. And it's also allowing us to show others what he is like. He can then use us to further his kingdom through that. This living water that Jesus offers to the Samaritan woman at the well is himself, which encompasses all of the properties I just listed for you and more. God is willing to pour himself out upon you. He is willing to fill your cup to the brim and then some causing his blessings and his presence to overflow within you, thus touching those around you with it. However, he can only do so if you raise your glass and accept his outpouring. 
you allow him to come into your life. He will never force us to accept him, but that invitation is an open one. So when you accept God's living water, you then also accept the mission of introducing others to that same living water. Later in the story, the Samaritan woman goes back to her hometown and tells everyone about Jesus. We see this in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said that to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So we went out of the town and were coming to him. Sometimes, and I know I felt this way at least, after we receive this mission and are aware of it, we tend to become afraid because we believe we won't be able to deliver the message correctly or maybe we're scared we don't or maybe we're scared that people won't believe us and let me let me try and comfort you by saying there are going to be people that will not believe you and that is simply because they have free will and they can make their own decision about their eternity and as unfortunate as it is that they decide to reject their eternity with God, there's going to be people that don't believe us. And if you're afraid that you won't be able to say it correctly, that you won't have the right words, you're too timid, you're too uh, broken, you're too whatever, just like the Samaritan woman, your testimony, it doesn't have to be that you were saved from drugs, it doesn't have to be that something horrendous happened in your life. It could be that you simply got saved at 10, 8, 9, whatever. That you came from a good home. Your testimony is unique to you and God. That relationship there. And it can tell others who God is. And at some point along the way, they will begin to, to believe for themselves without having to hear your testimony. And this is what happened to the people in the town that the Samaritan woman went back to. They began, because of her testimony, to go seek out Jesus. But after that, they began to believe for themselves simply because Jesus was present. He was present in their lives. So really, all you have to do is make the introductions and maybe do some guidance along the way. You know, if they have questions and come to you, great, you know, answer those questions to the best of your ability. But you did the introductions, now let Jesus do the work. And that's emphasized in verse verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That was her testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. 
and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So when you receive this overflowing spring of living water, remember to extend it to others willingly, and remember to drink from it yourself as well. Because you can't give what you don't have. I want to thank you again for listening. And remind you that Wake Up and Grow releases bi-weekly. This is every other Monday. And I encourage you to go give Wake Up and Grow a follow on Instagram at WUG Podcast. That's W-U-G Podcast. And go find Wake Up and Grow on Facebook. Again, I'm Natalie Bittinger, and this has been Wake Up and Grow.